The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going, everyone? And today we're going to be discussing one of our summer theme movies again. Is it Psycho Beach Party? It is called Psycho Beach Party. It was recommended to me by a new friend of mine named Ruby Stardust. She is actually one of the hosts of the podcast called Pinups and Poltergeist. She is part of the pinup and horror community, so she talks about horror stuff on her podcast as well. And her and I were talking on a Discord one day about how you, my partner, and her partner also have like similar interests when it comes to things like types of movies, types of music, you know, you, you two have similar interests. Whereas you are a punk rocker, he is a metalhead, mm-hmm. but you both like beach movies, you both like surfing and longboarding and skating and all that stuff. And she recommended to me, she said, well, if, you know, if your husband likes this stuff, you guys should check out Psycho Beach Party. And it's really, it was really interesting. It was something I never heard of before. It is currently streaming on Tubi at the moment. I don't know if that's going to change, but I enjoyed it. Literally, this movie, if you do watch Psycho Beach Party, is basically a Frankie Valley movie on acid. Mm-hmm. You know? Because that's what basically it is. This is like a mixture between classic beach party mannerisms and the humor of it mixed with kind of like slasher horror theme vibes too. Yeah. So if you guys enjoy that type of stuff, yes, please watch it because it's definitely highly recommended. And there's a lot of big actors in here and even some of them that before they got big. Yeah, it definitely has a very like whodunit aspect to it because throughout the movie, you're wondering who is the killer. And it almost seems obvious to the audience like, oh, it's probably this person. But we actually don't know until the very end, and it actually is the least possible suspect you could imagine. I'm very interested to talk about it, but before we go into the movie, is there anything you wanted to talk about before we jump in? Yeah, sure. There's probably a few things we can talk about. Is that Paul Rubens passed away about a few days ago, and he is a treasure, especially to the community, both comedy and horror. Yep. And he literally is a person that we're all deeply going to miss. And he's basically the weird of the weird. And basically one of the reasons why I... Not why I am weird, but why I appreciate the weirdness. Yeah. I mean, I'm weird, but like he's like a wholesome, nice weird. He's like he's like a creepier version of Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of feel like when I get peewee. Yeah, and it's so funny because... Like you said, you you are weird yourself and you like weird shit. But when we watched, like when we talk, we're going to talk about when we get into the movie. But when we watched Psycho Beach Party, it almost seemed like for you, it was a little too weird for your taste. Well, yeah. And I looked at you and I'm like, that's weird to you? Mm -hmm. I've watched Pee Wee Herman with you. And I think that's fucking weird. First, but yeah. But then again, I I remember Paul Rubens most notably for his dramatic death scene in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's how I know Paul Rubens from. And he's definitely got that sense of like comedy and campness to him. So But that's, that's what makes him so great. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny. It's an iconic scene, and over the past week, since his passing, we've been seeing a lot of tribute videos of him being on Pee Wee and 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I've even sent you a video once of him performing uh, Kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus with Danny Elfman and Weird Al Yankovic. You remember? No. I sent it to you, like, sometime this past week. You... I, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. I'm going to look it up. But see? Yeah. Shh. See, here's the thing, people. No, it's not. <laughs> Real talk. You, you send me too you... many fucking videos. Yeah, but... Here's the thing, real talk. If you know what your partner likes and you are on social media and you find things that you know your partner will like and so you send your partner links and memes and pictures of things that you know he will like, nine times out of ten, he will never watch them. Are you finished? With I Paul s- Rubens, yeah. Well, because I forgot what I was going to say. So thanks, Aaliyah, for ruining that segment. Is there anything you want to say about Paul Rubens before we move on to the next Topic of discussion? Yes, I would like to say that. So, I would like to say something. It's weird that he's gone. For a lot of people, he didn't tell a lot of people about his private life. So, when a lot of people were shocked about his long years of battling cancer, I mean, that was a surprise to me because he he thought he was doing the right thing by not hurting everyone. We're making people feel like, oh man, we have this, this little bit of time left with him. So, Paul Rubens is a... Like I said before, a treasure, and we're all deeply going to miss him. Mm -hmm. And I will still watch him to this day and every day and every year. So rest in peace, Pee Wee. This past week also, we've heard news that abuse allegations have come out about Lizzo. Now, we don't really talk about music all that much. And when we do, we we, kind of like different types of music. And we're both pretty eclectic. We like a lot of different things outside of your usual rock, punk, metal scene. She likes dubstep. I like Calypso. (laughs) But we do enjoy a bit of pop and R&B. And I, for quite some time, had enjoyed... Lizzo's music. That being said, now these abuse allegations are coming out about her and I think it's important that we take a minute to talk about it because when things like this happen, especially when it comes to celebrities who are in the entertainment or performing arts industry, it just raises that question, should should we separate the art from the artist? when the artists do bad things. And for me, I'd say we have to, because if Colin did some pretty messed up stuff as a person, and me as his wife, I would want him to take accountability for his actions, but his actions as a person reflecting on his work as a podcaster, I feel like there should be some accountability there. She's got a point. Yeah, it's like us. We're we're podcasters. We are not exactly professional content creators. We don't make money doing what we do. But we like to think that if we make mistakes, we hold ourselves accountable and you, our audience, would hold us to a certain accountability. That being said, the same should apply to celebrities and performing artists, you know, because like take, for example, the director of Jeepers Creepers. He was prosecuted and charged with some pretty serious charges. And people to this day, even in the horror community, horror content creators, will not review any of his movies because he is known for what he has done, which is very bad things, which I won't go into detail. But 
That being said, that's what happens. When you commit terrible actions, these are the consequences of that. So when it comes to Lizzo, how do we proceed? Now, on social media, there's already a discourse between Lizzo's supporting fans and people who take these allegations seriously because these are mostly about abuse from her to her to people working for her and it's not okay any sort of abuse is never okay we want to make sure that these allegations are heard they're investigated if they're proven to be true then there should be some consequences and up until yesterday so This is recorded on a Thursday. She posted on Wednesday a public statement and nobody knew when she was going to. She's been pretty quiet up until now. So I just wanted to read her post. It says, these last few days have been gut-wrenchingly difficult and overwhelmingly disappointing. My work ethic, morals, and respectfulness have been questioned. My character has been criticized. Usually I choose not to respond to false allegations, but these are as unbelievable as they sound and too outrageous to not be addressed. These sensationalized stories are coming from former employees who have already publicly admitted that they were told their behavior on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. As an artist, I have always been very passionate about what I do. I take my music and my performances seriously because at the end of the day, I only want to put out the best art that represents me and my fans. With passion comes hard work and high standards. Sometimes I have to make hard decisions, but it's never my intention to make anyone feel uncomfortable or like they aren't valued as an important part of the team. I am not here to be looked at as a victim, but I also know that I am not the villain that people in the media have portrayed me to be these last few days. I am very open with my sexuality and expressing myself, but I cannot accept or allow people to use that openness to make me out to be something I am not. There is nothing I take more seriously than the respect we deserve as women in the world. I know what it feels like to be body shamed on a daily basis and would absolutely never criticize or terminate an employee because of their weight. I'm hurt, but I will not let the good work I've done in the world be overshadowed by this. I want to thank everyone who has reached out in support to lift me up during this difficult time. And that is her post from her Instagram account Hmm. that was posted on August 2nd. What are your thoughts on this, Colin? So how I feel about this is that I don't really know what type of person Lizzo is because I don't really listen to her music or even know what type of personality she is. I mean, I've heard good things. All I've always heard was nice things about Lizzo. And she is very talented. But I just don't know how she is with her dancers or people she works with. And maybe if we get a little more information on this and stuff, maybe we'll know a little more of the truth mm-hmm. about what type of person Lizzo is. Because you can't really tell with with one side says this and the other side says that, but it's not true. Yeah, and that's the thing that makes it hard, especially when these are abuse ac- accusations. Because like I said, abuse is never okay, no matter what form it comes in. But you also don't want to dismiss those who are abused of their experiences. So that's why it's hard to sit here and listen to what is being said and then 
wrapping your head around it. Because I, for the longest time, like you, thought she was a good person. She always seemed to portray herself that way when I see her in interviews and videos and stuff. And do I think that any of this stuff is true? I don't want to say no, but at the same time, I don't know. This is something that's a little bit out of my scope to be discussing about because I'm not in a position where I've ever been abused by a celebrity. So again, I don't know, but I don't want to be totally dismissive, but I know that there is going to be investigations about it and her team of attorneys are going to try to fight. So depending on what the outcome is, we'll know for sure what is happening and what is going to happen. But again, this all boils down to Lizzo is an artist and she is being accused of doing some bad things. Mm -hmm. Do we as people and do her fans owe it to themselves to do the morally ethical thing of not supporting her music career anymore? Or do they stand by her as loyal fans and dismiss these abuse accusations? I don't think either... Again, I don't think either is okay until you know the full truth of it all. But at the same time, we do it with a lot of other celebrities. We've done it with Marilyn Manson. Like I said, we did it with the director of Jeepers Creepers. And we do it with a lot of other celebrities whenever things like this happen. And I would like to think nobody should be above the rules of... Yeah, I think a good example that I would think of a person is definitely Harvey Weinstein. Yes, that's another one. It's, it's a really hard line to walk when you watch these movies and you know that they are made and contributed by terrible people but do you want to completely dismiss their work because they're bad people or can you sit there and continue to take in this content this music these movies these shows and still say oh i don't like this person but i love the work that they put out it's kind of hard to determine that factor. Well, yeah. Again, it's it just one It's one of those instances that brings up that question, should we separate the art from the artist? I think that we should, because like I said, nobody is above these standards. Yeah. You know, like you, you have your standards, you have your morals, you have your ethical standards. When people don't line up with those standards or they don't meet those standards or they do things that compromise those standards, then you have to reevaluate your way of thinking. Do you want to continue? Like, do you want to compromise your own morals and standards just so that you can continue to take in content that you enjoy that's made by people who are not good? I mean, that again, that's a really hard battle within ourselves that we have to kind of sit with. So yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? Not that I know of, because I think we covered everything that's going on. Yeah, we covered like the two biggest things that's going on this week. So I think it's time to dive in to no, the movie. No pun intended, but yes, dive into oh, the Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, didn't even, I walked right into that one. Anyway. Nice, nice job, hon. So, Psycho Beach Party was released on September 7th of 2001 in the U.S. That was, like, the initial U.S. release. Mm-hmm. It has a runtime of an hour and 34 minutes and was directed by Robert Lee King. Like I said, it's based off of an off-Broadway play of the same name written by Charles Bush, who 
also wrote the screenplay for the film, and the original title of the play was Gidget Goes Psychotic. And it was produced by companies such as Strand Releasing, New Oz Productions, and Red Horse Films. I'm pretty sure some of these are independent, and I don't believe that they are represented by AMPTP. I tried looking them up, and the two latter productions are no longer operating right now, so it's hard to say. It was filmed in an ambitious 21 days. Many scenes were shot in one or two takes due to budget constraints, or all the scenes filmed in the forest's kitchen were filmed in one day on the first day of principal photography. Any thoughts you want to? No, they say they say he got this movie done pretty quick. Mm-hmm. A lot quicker than Saw, that's for sure. Oh yeah, Lauren, suck it, Saw. Lauren Ambrose plays Florence Forrest. Thomas Gibson of Criminal Minds fame mm-hmm. plays Kanaka. And Dharma and Greg. Yep. Nicholas Brendan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame plays Starcat. Yeah, wait, which one? Wait, who's he again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. He played. What's his face? I haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. I've only seen the movie with you once. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen the, uh, the show in years, but. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while for me. Amy Adams plays Marvel Ann. Yeah, Muppets fame. Beth Broderick <laughs> as Ruth Forrest, who was of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yep, she played right. Anne Zelda. Yep. Oh and, my God, that's right. She was in this. Yep. And Charles Bush, the man who wrote the play, plays <laughs> Captain Monica Stark. I love that he's the least famous guy in this thing. Well, I don't want to say he's like the least famous because, like I said, he wrote the play and wrote the screenplay for the movie. Mm-hmm. Was he in any other films before this? I don't remember. I almost thought he was in another movie that I keep seeing clips of all over social media. I don't know if you've heard of it, but the film is called The Gay Deceivers. No. It was a 1969 film. He's in that? No, I just thought he looked like one of the characters from the movie, but I I'm... I was, I was going to say, I didn't know he was that old, but okay. <laughs> anyway, the original performances of the stage play feature Charles Bush in the role of Florence... When Bush adapted his play into film format, he was too old to play Chicklet, so he wrote for himself the cap the part of Captain Monica Stark so he could still participate in the production. And until the killer is revealed at the end of the film, the murderer is played by prop master Peter Kleins. Hmm, that's cool. Thomas Gibson, like I said, of Criminal Minds fame, was filming the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas yes. at the same time he was filming this. Holy fuck, that's right, because he was in that movie. He played, I think he played Mr. Slate, where I think that, where he played a villain in the Possibly. film. Possibly. Yeah, because I know, oh man, who, who else was in that movie? I know Alec Baldwin's brother was in it. He's the same guy that played in Biodome with Pauly Shore. I don't remember because it's been a long time since think, I've seen the fr- any of the Flintstones movies. Bolin. I don't know, but anyway. The, the sequel was interesting. Yeah, it's been a long sure. time since I've seen any of the Flintstones movies, so I wouldn't know. Matt Kieslar, who played Lars in this film, was filming Scream 3 <laughs> at the same time he was filming this. It's really? my least favorite scream movie in the entire franchise it's still ranking bottom in my list of best to worst scream films i thought that was your number one favorite fuck off wow she's mean but anyway the interior of kanaka's shack was actually a set 
not on a beach where the shack is supposedly located. The the thing, what was his name? Kanaka? Yeah, Kanaka. Kanaka, the one thing, this is one of the things that made me weird about the movie. That the fact that he talked in rhymes. Why you talk, why why you do that? Why? I was I about to say that. Sen- Stop finishing my sandwiches, okay? I'm hungry. Anyway, so Kanaka, my wife was right, that he keeps talking in rhyme in a weird type of, like, cool jazz tone that he's doing. Like, he's like, you want to say it? Then get on the wave. Like, shit like that. I'm just like, what is this? I know. When he started talking in rhymes, I'm like, is this guy for real? But, like, that was my... (laughs) That was my reaction the entire time in the movie. I'm like, is this for real? I'm like, me, this cannot be for real. It made me think of that scene from The Mass. Is like, you can't make the scene if you don't have the green. Like, like shit like that. I'm like, what is... Like, why? <laughs> like, but like... Okay. Oh, my God. A better way to explain to Colin, like... I, explain to me. You want to so, explain this shit to me. We both... Like I said, we both had different reactions to this movie. I enjoyed it. I was like... Like I said... I kind of had a bit of, like, excitement in my voice over how campy this was in a fun way. Like, yeah. it's a low-budget movie, yes. It's not that great, yes. But it's a fun watch, and I enjoyed it because of how campy it was. You watching it was like me watching Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3 last night. <laughs> I was so turned off by that movie. Yeah, but you were only turned off because they're bad timing of, like, situations, and they made the humor of it. You know, but see, like, yeah, because you were the sick. way you enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy is like how I enjoy Psycho Beach Party. He comes from B movies. He comes from trauma films. Mm-hmm. That's why his love of B movies reflected onto the films that he did later that made him successful, like Guardians. Guardians was always a B movie comic, like a B rated comic. So, and, you know, sci-fi, all that weird shit. That's why James Gunn took his love for B-movies and put it in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's why it's so popular. Carlos and I are going to shit so hard on Guardians. But anyway, (laughs) so I'm going to get into the plot. And I want to imply, too, like, there was a couple of things about this movie, like, watching it, that I were just, like, so fucking floored and humor by. And it was... (laughs) <laughs> you you had pointed out too the style of shooting in which they were shooting like the surfing scenes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I use air quotes when I say surfing scenes because you can clearly tell it's just a, a wavy surfing backdrop and they're standing in front of a camera pretending to surf. Go ahead and explain it to me because you you said it best. The I felt day. so cringe <laughs> watching it. Because it did make me feel like watching... You ever seen... Alright, so you viewers out there, so listen to me when I say this. When you watch a classic 60s movie, especially if it's a surf movie, you're going to tell there's a lot of flaws. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. So there's a lot comes, of continuity errors. Okay, but my point is, when they go surfing, <laughs> what do you do on a surfboard? You make sure your form and balance is actually perfect so you don't fall off. These people on there are doing stupid things like doing Russian dancing or even just like they're they're not even doing like a side form. They're doing like a front form or they're looking like they're hanging on a trapeze. I'm looking at I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Because literally it reminded me of Frankie Valley because Frankie Valley did the same shit in all the B move in all the beach party movies he did. He would always stand there trying to look so cool, try like, you know, do like these little like 
fun little like not going with the form but he just thinks he can stand any way he wants and even just like sit there and read the paper i mean i would do that too i would read the paper on the surfboard just to have be funny but him doing it same thing goes with an episode of the batman series from the 60s joker and batman were on the beach and they both had surfboards and joker was like let's go for a surf off so they go surfing same terrible background of the waves you could tell it's fake and they're sitting there just doing all these ridiculous things they're not following form they're not following what surfers actually do they're just being ridiculous by standing any way they want yeah it's a very simple concept of shooting like like i said they're they're you got your actor in the center of the screen pretending to surf on a board and you've got a backdrop of like waves rolling and water swirling and it's supposed to give the impression that these people are actually surfing but they're not also the dialogue in this movie was so fucking funny like you can tell they were trying to go for like (laughs) a 70s surfer lingo like 60s surfer lingo the point is the point is is that it was so fucking funny to listen to i'm like are these people for real because they were so funny it just, oh my god, it was like blowing my mind of how bad it was. Like, I'm like, keep going with watching this, but I'm just like, oh my god, you're, stop it, he's dead already. That's what I got, like those Simpsons vibes when he was like, stop it, he's dead already. <laughs> but no, honestly though, I mean, I have no problem with the movie, it's just... I felt like Aaliyah for once. Oh, God. <laughs> I was so scared that I was going to end up being like her by the end of the movie. And you were going to be like, what do you think, Colin? I was like, that fucking sucked. <laughs> like, oh, God. I want to say it's giving Peaches Christ. Oh, Can you imagine if they remade this movie? Or make his... <gasps> no, or, 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 calm down, lady. Or make his own. No, like, I can see Peaches Christ remaking this fucking movie. Oh, I want it to happen. And oh, make it go. more serious, or what? No, I want, like, Peaches Christ to do it in her own version of camp. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, it would be fun. Anyway. Oh, my God. I don't want to go. <laughs> anyway. So, so yeah. to get into the plot, <laughs> Florence Forrest is a Gidget-like character determined to learn to surf and earns the nickname Chicklet from the surfer guys. And the surfer guys in question are Starcat, Junior, I think. I don't know. I didn't even write down the list of names. But hey. they're all like these group of like surfer white kids. Like Actually, I don't think they're all white. Yeah, they are. Are they all white? Yeah. So I thought there was a, a, a Spanish guy in there. Nope. Anyway. Anyway. Chicklet, though, begins displaying multiple personalities, experiences inexplicable blackouts, and fears that she might be the one responsible for a series of mysterious murders in her beachside town. The deaths are investigated by Captain Monica Stark, who also suspects Chicklet's mother, Chicklet's best friend, Burdine, surfing guru, the great Kanaka, and B-movie actress, Bettina Barnes. Other characters include... University dropout and Chicklet's love interest, Starcat, <laughs> Swedish exchange student, Lars, surfers Yo-Yo and Provolone, which are the other two friends of I, the, the surfer group. I, yeah. <laughs> Starcat's girlfriend, Marvel Ann, and the class Queen Bee, Rhonda. And it's so, like, that's essentially the whole, the whole gist. 
Okay, but here's what I want to say mm-hmm. about Yo. What is his name? Yolo or Yo Yo? Yo Yo and Provolone. All right. Okay. Yo Yo and Provolone. So Yo Yo and Provolone. Um, first of all, okay. I tried. Let me do this. All right. You don't need to walk my hand. Hold my hand, mother. Anyway. So I just want to let you guys know about these two guys. If you ever watch this movie, walk, look out for Yo-Yo and Provolone. Mm-hmm. All right, because these two are like the bestest of friends. These guys are like super close. They are close the, is not even the word that I can yeah. pick, pick out here. These are the two closest ones in the friend group. So I don't want to say anything that's going to be insulting, which I won't, but... How would you, honey, best describe Yo-Yo and Provolone? They are the Raj and Howard of the group. Except they're very playful with each other. Yes. That's, that, That's I think, I best put that as that. And mm-hmm. it's just so funny. I'm just, like, looking at these two every time. And I'm like, dudes, like, get a room. <laughs> like, It's like Aaliyah when she looks at me with my best friends. There's also other two characters in this room named Junior and TJ. Yep. And I want to point out a couple things. So what they don't talk about in the plot that I pulled from Wikipedia is that the concept of these murders are because the victims all have these physical abnormalities and the killer is specifically targeting these people because they strive for perfection and they try to cast aside those who are not perfect by the killer's standards so they killed junior because he has psoriasis they killed tj because he's got one testicle they killed Rhonda because she's paraplegic and is bound to a wheelchair and so on and so forth do you want to talk a little bit more about the movie, or do you want me to go into the first fun fact I got for the movie so far? Um, Go into the first funny fact, or fun fact, whatever okay. you call it. Mm. So, over 20 years, the play had its premiere UK production by Vertigo Theatre Productions in Manchester in March of 2011, and the production returned in August 2012 at Sasha's Hotel Ballroom. A production was held in Australia at the Bondi Pavilion Theatre from November to December of 2012, and productions also ran in Melbourne in the early 2013 year, receiving generally positive reviews. Mm-hmm. So for its time, well, I shouldn't say for its time, this was like 10, 12 years after its release. So it was released, and as expected by most low-budget movies, it didn't get much of a rating. It wasn't received well initially, but after 20 years, it started to gain a bit of a following. It started to be premiered more around the world and in other countries. And in a positive review, Stephen Holden of the New York Times states that the film, quote, accomplishes what no stage production could by assiduously copying the look and sound of those 60s movies, the wriggling title sequences, the twangy surf music, and the gawky G-Wiz screen acting style, it definitively skewers the false innocence of American pop culture on the eve of the countercultural deluge. Most of the play's subversive humor has arrived on the screen intact. End quote. Los Angeles Times critic Kevin Thompson compared the film unfavorably to its source material, opening that it, quote, has to be twice as funny a play as it is as a movie, end quote. He further explains that, again, quote, 
Deliberate Camp, like this film, presents a special challenge. It must generate and sustain a high level of energy or it will swiftly fall flat. Quote. The, no, the latter is too often the case here. I don't agree with that, only because, like I said, it kind of carries this wild ride energy from start to finish. And you can definitely tell, especially in the, even like from the opening scene at the drive through to the ending where I don't want to give away the ending because it's, it's just, it's a fun movie to watch. But when you get to the ending where it's revealed what actually happened, it's sort of like a wild ride of like all these different things going on. Again, coupled with weird dialogue and weird imagery and like, what do you call it? Like a, a imagery montage sequences. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting to watch. And like I said, I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone because everybody's opinions are different. I enjoyed it just for what it was. It, it was a fun watch. And it made, me, it made me laugh. And I got a good kick out of it. So is there anything you want to add on to those quotes before I move on? Other than, I don't know, what we've been talking about? Yeah, no, it's definitely a fun watch for sure. It's fucking weird, but yeah. I want to say that more towards the end. But yes, it is an enjoyable watch for sure. So my last little fun fact is praising the strong women of the film, Bob Graham of the San Francisco Chronicle also wrote that Bush, as Monica Stark, quote, captions the woman alone in the world toughness of the roles played by the stars he loves. He goes beyond camp. He is sincere, end quote. However, Graham reasoned that the film has rough edges despite conceding that, quote, they probably work to this larky, cheeky picture's advantage. He subsequently notes, in some instances, it's hard to tell the really bad acting from the intentionally bad acting. Dennis Lim of The Village Voice was negative, concluding that the film is an awkward combination of garish set decoration and muffled humor. And that the viewer is left to ponder the number of levels on which... This counts as a pointless exercise, a parody of parodic movies, or pe- a deconstruction of transparent genres, and a self-negatingly knowing example of camp. So like I said, it got some pretty harsh reviews, but it also got a couple of good ones, and it currently ranks at 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. So it's a very interesting movie, like I said. Yeah. Wait, did we finish the whole plot of the movie? Yeah, I finished, I went through my whole notes. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to talk about the whole entire movie, but no, never mind. Yeah, because like I said, it's a very low-budget movie, so when I went to look up the plot, I didn't, I couldn't find the entire plot written in detail, so I kind of have to take the summarization of it and then incorporate my own points to go by. Didn't she basically wake up in the very end, like in a hospital bed or something? I don't want to give away the ending, but yes. She wakes up at the end in an insane asylum having dreamt of the entire events throughout the movie, making herself believe that despite the fact that she had this multiple personality condition, she wasn't the killer that was killing all these people, but had in fact actually killed people because of her disorder. And her actions, yes. Which, which compared to how we treat mental illness today is a bit... Definitely not how we treat multiple personalities today. It's not how we treat dis- disassociative identity disorders today. 
again, I think that's just the way that's just the way the Broadway play was portrayed. That's how they converted it to film format, and that was how it was shot and worded and dialogued and everything. But like I said, I think for the most part, I enjoyed it. I thought it was campy enough for my liking. Mm-hmm. Everybody's versions of camp and comedy are different. So yeah. I know it wasn't your cup of tea, Colin, but what did you think overall? Well, the thing was, I was thinking about this the whole time as I was watching the movie. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should give the movie one more chance. So what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to rewatch it and see. Honey, mm-hmm. yeah. get, get I- off your phone. You can talk to the microphone. You don't have to talk to me. I am talking to you because that's the whole point of this. We're engaging in conversation Mm -hmm. together. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to rewatch this movie again. And I'm going to see my thoughts and see what I think of it, you know, to rethink of it. Because it's been a while Mm -hmm. since we watched it. So, I want to give it a second chance and see what I think of it. If I still feel the same way as the first time, yeah, fine. But if not and I really love it more, then that's good. At least I gave it another chance. Yeah. So that's why I do want to give it another chance. Because, believe it or not, it is an entertaining movie. It was just, when I first saw it, it's just like, I didn't know how to feel. Because mm-hmm. I guess the way that they represent it in the movie, especially the weirdness, was, I don't know. It just it just threw me off guard. It just, I don't know. I never had a movie really made me feel like that. So it's just like, I want to enjoy it. And I did enjoy it for somewhat of it, but... I'm definitely going to rewatch it again and just kind of give my second opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that I would put on just for fun. Yeah. But yeah. I want to actually uh, have other people watch it too and see what they think of it. You know what else that I just realized that kind of made me like this movie? Why you got your hand on your chest like you're saying the Pledge of Allegiance? No, because I just realized something. Okay. So you like beachy surfer movies mm-hmm. you watch movies like point break and what was the other ones you like to watch um well name a few there's point break mm-hmm. there's beach party yep and then there's blue crush is a good one mm-hmm. i don't know if you ever seen that one that's a really good one um oh um under the boardwalk mm-hmm. i actually just watched for the first time a couple weeks ago that was actually really good because that was like a surfer's version of romeo and juliet because there was two sides, two different uh, base groups of surfers. One from Huntington and the other one, one from the Valley and one that are locals. So the way, the way, <laughs> the way this movie, Psycho Beach Party, portrayed surfing is how I look at surfing movies. Yeah, but it doesn't beat what it really is in real life. But yeah, mm. you don't know. You, you're afraid of water. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So stay on your side. <laughs> the ocean is gross and weird and scary. I don't like it. <laughs> you know what? Fine. But I enjoyed the ocean and I will keep it. Damn it. What was I going to say? Because you're like a like a like from a different group. Like you're like my rival group now. Like stay on your side, poser. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you got the mainland and I got the ocean. So that's what I feel like I am right now. I feel like I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. Man, now I want to go skimboarding. We're, we're bodyboarding now. Like, bodyboard. Like, do some boogie boarding and, like, some skimboarding. Because I know you can't surf here. Because yeah, you got no. no waves to save your lives. We live near the lake. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, the type of body of water that produces waves. No. And it's also not the kind of lake that I would recommend anybody to go swim in. But like, I, it's gross. But I will <laughs> say, when the water does come in, it's actually perfect for skimboarding. Because the water comes in into the shore and everything, 
and comes in pretty quick and you can definitely like ride those ride those little waters. Just go to the wave pool at Seabreeze. You can skinboard there. I don't think you can. Oh well. <laughs> Too bad. I'm not going to the ocean. I am. Ocean <laughs> sucks. Anyway. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> You're ruining my vibe, man. <laughs> Anyway. Anyway. But I, actually, I do have a good rec- recommendation for another movie. No. I do. If any of you remember from the 90s, there was a movie called Surf Ninjas. <sighs> actually, great movie. It's so it's ridiculously stupid, but so it funny. Is. You've so seen dumb. it, right? Yeah, it's Rob so Schneider's in it. It's so dumb. He plays a teenager, even though he was in his 30s at the time, and I can't believe you farted. Yeah, that's me farting all over Colin's surf movies. And also, Matthew McConaughey did a movie year, a couple years ago called Surfer, comma, dude. And he played the perfect surfer. So, like, if you get a chance to watch that movie, New, definitely recommend it. New slash Colin, Matthew McConaughey is still playing that role. Yeah, he's he never stopped. He is a, he's always been that chill. Can't stop, won't stop. He commit to the bit because we get because we get down, baby. We get down. He committed to the bit too hard. Now he won't get out of that yeah. role. All right, all right, all right. That's why they say don't go with the method yeah. acting. Well, he's a pretty good method actor, I will say. Mm-hmm. He pretty much is the chill younger version of Willie Nelson. Anyway, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is. I think we cover all our bases for this show today. Yeah. And we all and we would all like to thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, no matter what, we're always here to entertain you. Yep. Even if you love it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Yep. And next week we'll be back with another episode. And we are going to pick up where we left oh. off, I think, six months ago with our cryptid series. Oh, no, no. We started that, like, way more than that. It was uh, eight months ago because we did in January. Okay. Yeah. Eight Whatever. Months. Wow, you're supposed to know these things. The point is... <laughs> the point is is that we're going to be covering Bigfoot next week. Yeah, that's my dude. So any Bigfoot enthusiasts out there, stay tuned next week because we're going to be talking about some Bigfoot movies. Yep, and some of them right now are like, ooh, 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 ooh. We're going to watch it. And then we're going to listen to it. And my... F- oh, yeah. Oh, man. This this makes me want to talk about Henry and the Hendersons now. But we're going to move on because we got to go to Well, bed. no. I'm talking about next episode. Still. But anyway. So, thank you all for listening. This has been the episode mm-hmm. of the Abbey Normal Podcast. And I am your host, Colin. I Signing off saying, I know you are, but what am I? As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.